Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 64th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm John Simic, Vice President of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is what law firms should know about the FBI's InfraGuard program. We're delighted to welcome, as today's guest, Kara Seidner. Kara is a special agent with the FBI and is currently serving as the InfraGuard coordinator for the Washington Field Office, otherwise known as WFO. Her 17-plus years with the FBI have all been in the Washington, D.C. area, having had assignments at WFO, FBI headquarters, and the FBI Academy. Kara's experience in a number of areas to include counterintelligence and cyber investigations, evidence response, instruction and training, and private sector outreach. Kara was a member of WFO's evidence response team and a first responder to the Pentagon on 9-11-01. Thanks for joining us today, Kara. Thank you for having me. Kara, I'm guessing that most of our listeners are not familiar with InfraGuard. Can you explain what the FBI's InfraGuard is? Certainly. The InfraGuard program is actually one of our longest-running, most formalized outreach uh, programs that we have to uh, be in touch with folks that are in the private sector. Uh, it actually started uh, in the mid-90s uh, in one of our smaller field offices in the Midwest as cyber was really evolving for us and changing from uh, being traditional criminal investigations, what we more commonly see now that is handled by um, the Internet Crime Complaint Center, our typical criminal cyber activity, the Nigerian scams, the if uh, you know emails that you might get that say if you just pay this much money, you'll get this much more money back, and your relatives that are overseas, you know, need help. Uh, as things were changing from that dynamic to really the information contained on networks of our uh, companies in the U.S., our clear defense contractors, that being the target. So transitioning from uh, the computers being the tool to commit the crime to the computers and what they house on their networks being the target. Uh, and we really wanted to get out to the private sector and ask the subject matter experts out there in IT to help us get our arms around uh, cyber as it was really evolving. Uh, headquarters got wind of this effort and said, you know what, this is something that we should be doing at a national level, engaging with the private sector, uh, because you are the owners and operators of a lot of the things that we either are working with other agencies to protect uh, or that we end up investigating because something bad, unfortunately, has happened uh, at an organization or entity. So it, it rolled out to all of our field offices as the InfraGuard program housed uh, in the National Infrastructure Protection Center with a focus on looking at those cyber threats uh, that we were facing. After 9-11, that mission expanded to look at physical threats and cyber threats, so pretty much all threats, all hazards, if you will, because if it doesn't fall in one of those two categories, um, those are pretty broad uh, areas. It's, it's probably not... Um, you know, not as significant uh, of, an, of an issue for us. Uh, and, of course, DHS was stood up, and they actually took that 
Infrastructure Protection Center with them. We retained the InfraGuard program, thereby giving us a natural reason to keep that relationship with DHS and their Office of Infrastructure Protection so that we could be in lockstep with them. Uh, us as the you know, investigative agency, them looking more from the protective side of the house in looking at the threats to critical infrastructure. And it really did kind of broaden to address what those critical infrastructure sectors are as defined by presidential policy decision directives. Uh, and we try to mirror those sectors. Uh, it has grown to be today uh, an individual member organization of over 40,000 people nationwide. So it's not a company or a position-based uh, membership, if you will. Individuals who are in roles in both the public and private sectors that are interested in protecting critical infrastructure can volunteer to join to be part of InfraGuard. And the InfraGuard program has also evolved in the sense that the membership decided that they wanted to give themselves a little bit more flexibility to do things and made themselves a 501c3 organization. So they're organized by chapters uh, around the country that are affiliated with the FBI field office that is within their geographic territory. And each one of those chapters are their own nonprofits. And they enjoy the special relationship with the FBI um, that no other real outreach uh, member organization has um, just because of you know, its origin. The FBI agrees to vet the members who want to join, the individuals who volunteer to join InfraGuard, and we provide security risk assessments of individuals um, to determine their suitability to be part of the InfraGuard program. And we do that for two reasons. One is to establish a baseline level of trust among all the members so they know that you know, their peers sitting next to them in these forums have gone through kind of the same screening so that they can feel comfortable when they're sitting and talking about threats that they've seen or best practices that they want to share within their sector or their industry, that the person sitting next to them you know, has also gone through that same vetting process. Uh, and two, we afford members access to a secure portal where we post intelligence products. Uh, they're unclassified. Some of them are for official use only or law enforcement sensitive, um, but they're not generally available uh, to the public. So they have the ability to log in and see, you know, joint uh, intelligence bulletins from the FBI and DHS or one thing that we call a flash report, an FBI liaison alert system that provides indicators for cyber threats uh, that allows those members to then use that information to better protect their assets. So long, long way of coming around to say that InfraGuard has grown over the last 20 years uh, and really is at its heart a two-way information sharing platform between critical infrastructure owners and operators in the FBI to better protect uh, those assets. Well, well Kara, I know in, in my prior career I worked for Mobile Oil, um, and I was very familiar with what InfraGuard is, but the I'm, I'm sure our, our listeners, though, could you tell them a little bit more details about the, the who can join InfraGuard or if you want to add anything more to what, the, what you certainly you said previously? Certainly. So as I mentioned, we reflect the 16 critical infrastructure sectors. Um, so that's everything from, as you alluded to, energy, including oil and gas, um, our banking and financial services uh, network, um, water systems, transportation, 
uh, information technology, government and commercial facilities. Um, it, it's very broad. Uh, usually someone falls uh, in, in one of those sectors, uh, regardless of what their position might be within an organization or company. Uh, and if they have an interest in protecting from physical, human, or cyber threats, uh, not only their company or organization, but even their communities, um, then they can join InfraGuard. Oftentimes, we have a wide range of folks ranging from, you know, you might have physical security guards uh, that are at a government facility. You might have a system administrator uh, for uh, an IT firm uh, or, or maybe even a chief information security officer for, um, you know, a healthcare organization. So wide ranging from, you know, top to entry level uh, positions find reason and value in joining InfraGuard. Um, and we try to look at, you know, each chapter's demographics are a little bit different. So if you are in Texas, there might be more of a focus on energy and oil and natural gas than perhaps you would find in Oregon, let's say. Um, and so whatever the chapter demographic is will often drive um, who uh, wants to join <laughs> that program uh, based on what kind of assets are in that chapter's territory. Uh, of course, here in the D.C. area, we have a lot of government facilities, a lot of uh, military uh, installations, obviously the Pentagon being the big one, but um, government facilities, the White House, the Capitol building. So that's a huge, um, and, and defense, obviously. Those two sectors are, are very highly represented within our membership, and that often drives you know, who we try to, or what kind of programming we try to deliver to them, uh, and what their needs are and serving what those needs are. And it is two-way because we'll often then go out to our members too to help us be smarter about the things that they're concerned about and uh, things that they're seeing because, as I said before, they're the owners and operators of that in infrastructure. Um, and without knowing you know, what their concerns and needs are, we have a hard time doing our job. We can't do it in a vacuum. So the members come from all 16 sectors, all position levels, um, usually with an interest uh, in serving, you know, more than what they can do uh, in their capacity in, in either their professional or their personal life. So I, I, I signed up, as I told you, I signed up and applied today to be a part of InfraGuard. Um, so for those who may be wondering, uh, it'll probably take you eight or ten minutes or so to fill out the application form. Um, and it, and it's, a, it's an interesting one, I'll say that. So you, you need to take a look <laughs> to know what I'm talking about. It may be, bring back memories from your, your uh, indiscretions of youth that you wish you had forgotten. Um, ske um, skeletons, Sharon? <clears throat> skeletons. Skeletons in the closet, yes. Um, you talked a little bit care about how the InfraGuard program was structured. Was there anything more you wanted to add to that? Well, we do try to, it, it does mirror a little bit of, of how we look at FBI headquarters too. So each of the chapters, as I said, are affiliated with an FBI field office. Um, and then the InfraGuard program on the private side has a, a national um, advisory body, InfraGuard National um, Members Alliance. The chapters are called Members Alliances. Uh, and they kind of serve as the conduit to FBI headquarters. Um, so it's you know a partnership at the headquarters level and then also throughout the field offices with the chapters. Um, and you know what one chapter is doing in one field office may be different than in another. And headquarters tries to serve both on the FBI side and the InfraGuard side to serve as, 
you know, the, the touch point to say there's some best practices over here that maybe are not being done over there, and we've seen some neat things coming out of this chapter in this field office, which might be able to be, you know, replicated or scaled to other places too. So, um, and of course, they're concerned with what the national posture is of the program from both sides of the house um, and try to coordinate those efforts uh, accordingly. So, so Kara, we we are on the Legal Talk Network, so could you maybe mention something about what would the benefits be to a law firm for being a member of InfraGuard? We do have, at least I can speak for my own chapter, um, quite a few members in various positions uh, from uh, a number of the law firms that are here in D.C. And that might range from, you know, the folks that are working to secure the law firm networks, uh, the IT folks, but it can also be, you know, the uh, professional staff, attorneys, advisors, um, paralegals, etc., um, who also want to be members so that they can better understand perhaps what some of their clients are facing. Um, and of course, we've seen, you know, in the news, uh, and I, this isn't new, um, but in the last, you know, probably year to 18 months, maybe even further back than that, um, of law firms being, you know, another target area. If uh, one of your clients, you know, is very good at locking down their information, whether it be from, you know, a human perspective or uh, an IT perspective, uh, the law firm that they engage for whatever kind of services may not be, and that that will be the you know, access point for the bad actors to try to get to that company's intellectual property, for example. Um, so I think it would be beneficial for, you know, a multitude of positions uh, within a law firm because it does help you to better understand some of the threats that your clients might be facing, but also understand that you too are targets vulnerable to some of those same things. Trust me, at this point, the law firms know that they either have been breached or will be breached. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. And, and that is what we say. It's not a matter of, you know, if you've been breached, it's, it's when. And, and for some of them, it's been multiple breaches. Um, but help them to understand what the FBI's role in this InfraGuard partnership would be and how it would impact them as, as lawyers, law firms, et cetera. Well, there's a couple different ways um, that we can come in and, and I guess, better understand things. Uh, one is to, again, help you be informed about what kind of threats your clients are facing. So whether it's intellectual property um, theft that we've seen from nation states um, or attempts to do that, uh, whether it's, you know, the latest malware or cyber intrusion um, you know, it can be a range of things from that perspective. I also think it is helpful to have the FBI kind of debunk what happens if you do have a problem as a law firm. And there are many firms, not just law firms, but, you know, clear defense contractors and other companies that can um, mitigate and remediate themselves. They don't need, they have no requirement to report, you know, an intrusion to the FBI. They can stop their own bleeding and fix whatever damage, uh, you know, has occurred. Um, but it's helpful for us to still know those things because it gives us a broader picture of what the threatscape is. So we want, you know, firms, companies, organizations to tell us 
we had this incident and this is what happened, even when there's no compulsion to do so, because it really helps keep us informed about what the bad guys are doing, if they're changing their tactics and procedures. Um, and sometimes having us come in and say, you know, if you call us um, because you've had uh, an issue, this is how it can be handled. Um, it can be handled professionally. We're not going to roll up in our you know, mobile command post with guys in raid jackets, then you're going to be on the front page of the news. Um, because we do this all the time. You know, unfortunately, victim notifications are something that happen fairly regularly. So it's us going out and telling you that you have a problem, oftentimes before you even know that you have a problem. Um, and how so do it, you know it? How do you know it? <laughs> so, well, investigative techniques <laughs> versus the methods. All those things that, you know, I, I I was, are predicated. I knew I was not going to get us. Yeah. Right. We, we, All the things we, that we're we, legally allowed to do that inform us uh, about those uh-huh. with, uh, with our investigations. Um, absolutely. I'm not putting you on, on the hot seat. We, we have, we have, because of what we do for a living, we have some notion of how the FBI might know. Um, well, and we yeah. Speculate. You know, things, and speculate when you, when you don't, right? <laughs> Just fill in the blanks. That's blank. right. Ex- exactly. So, Kara, what, what are some of the activities and programs of an InfraGuard chapter that law firms might be interested in? Well, the chapters do a lot of um, proactive programming for their members. So, again, deriving what their uh, programming should be from the member interests and concerns and trying to, you know, help them if they want to learn more about certain threats, uh, certain trends, certain cyber signatures, uh, technical information. And if our folks are in a position to deliver that kind of content, then we want to give that to them. Sometimes it's also facilitating member-to-member interaction uh, that somebody who's in the water sector didn't realize that, you know, someone in the food and agriculture sector is facing some of the same things and they haven't talked before, and we're kind of matching them up so they can both be better informed and do some cross-sector collaboration and and sharing. Um, So that's one activity. Um, So the the forward-leaning programming that we try to deliver to the members. We also try to really facilitate um, a strong uh, partnership between the chapter's board of directors, uh, which are every chapter has one that are usually elected uh, from within their their membership, uh, and the local FBI field office, so that there is that exchange of information. Uh, A lot of times there's a perception that the FBI can go out and collect information and then we say thank you very much and you never hear from us again. Um, InfraGuard tries to, you know, really change uh, that perception because we are giving back to the membership. Um, One of the tools that's available to members to kind of exemplify that is uh, a tool called uh, Malware Investigator. So this is a system that is available to members through the InfraGuard portal where if they have malware that they have discovered on their networks, they they can submit it to Malware Investigator and they will get a technical report back um, that will give them indicators and signatures that they can then use to help, you know, plug the holes or uh, remedy, you know, what they had seen on their networks. They won't get attribution from that report, but most folks, at least that I have talked to in my membership, don't care about the attribution. They just want to be able to better protect themselves against that threat. Uh, so that's one couple examples of some of the activities and tools that the chapter likes to provide to their members. So, so Kara, can you tell us some some examples of the types of information that a that a member might provide to the to the InfraGuard project? 
They might provide information both from their professional and their personal life too. By having a person in an FBI field office serving as the face of this program really does uh, give the field office a human component that a switchboard can't ever emulate. So sometimes folks are really hesitant to call the FBI if they don't know if it doesn't fit specifically within a box. You know, it's it's not something that their facility security officer needs to know, maybe not their human resources or their general counsel, but it's something that they feel like law enforcement at some level should know. And it's scary sometimes to just call a switchboard and say, hi, I'm Bob Smith, and this is what I want to tell the FBI and expect that you're going to have credibility with them. To call your InfraGuard coordinator or to even call your FBI field office and say you're an InfraGuard member, that does give you kind of an instant credibility because we know who our InfraGuard members are. Um, and they can say, look, we're not sure if this is something that you're interested in, but we wanted to provide it to you. And we will find someone on our side of the house who wants that information. If there's anything to be done with it, you know, then they'll take care of it. So we're kind of the, I guess, the match.com for infrastructure protection in that regard. <laughs> um, but specific types of things, like I had mentioned with Malware Investigator, we have um, automated tools to submit cyber threat information. So you can put in malware, you can use another tool called iGuardian to put in cyber signatures, IP addresses, things like that, that will go to our cyber watch center and get triaged and routed appropriately to the appropriate field office and squads. Um, we might have people in physical security who call to say, you know what, we've seen some different kinds of activity, uh, you know, around our facility and we want to bring it to your attention. Uh, whether it's people um, or maybe placement of things that are different uh, to them. Uh, so it, it ranges. Uh, we've also had people just at home in their community. Um, so away from their job where maybe they have an absolute role to be reporting stuff to us or, or feel like sharing things with us where, again, it doesn't really fit into anything else. It's not something that local law enforcement is going to look at, but they want to tell somebody. Um, and because of their membership in InfraGuard, they think, eh, I'll call my InfraGuard coordinator and see if, you know, they want to know about it. So we've had so things. Like that, Go ahead. Well, that, so that guy that called my house that claimed he was from Microsoft with a funky caller ID and said my computer was infected, that, that's the kind of examples? Well, you know, we do get a lot of that. And it's good to call if you don't know where else to send something like that. We'll try to route you appropriately if it's not something for us. That, for example, I would say would either go to FTC or the Internet Crime Complaint Center, but we want you to okay. report it because, again, it helps gotcha. those entities to aggregate data that might enable us to get involved at some point. We do get um, members who ask about ransomware, which I'm sure a lot of your folks are familiar with. And unfortunately, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the statute and financial threshold that we're bound by doesn't usually allow us to open an investigation for an individual who's lost, you know, $1,000, $5,000, even $10,000. And while we feel badly for those folks, um, oftentimes it's a Send it into the Internet Crime Complaint Center with all of your, you know, victim information. Um, and across the country, if everybody did that, they are aggregating that da data and they are looking at the trends and they are able to see, you know what, this is all originating from the same bad guy in country X. And once it reaches the threshold that allows us to get involved, then we can, 
you know, open investigation. So it's still very valuable to us, even if it's not something as an individual that we can do anything with, to have you go to the appropriate entities um, because it might turn into something that we can then do something about. And that's how the ransomware actually grew enough so that we could get involved. So we had talked about a couple more topics that that we could cover, but since we only have time for a couple of minutes here, um, tell us, Kara, what you think is most important to law firms that you haven't told us thus far that that you would like to communicate specifically to them. (laughs) So I think probably one of the, the, at least from the InfraGuard perspective, um, is if you as a law firm entity, regardless of of what kind of position you're in, uh, feel as though you have a need to have better information about how you can either better protect yourselves, either from cyber or physical threat, or the clients that you're working with, we want to be a resource uh, that you can call for those concerns. Um, I have gone in, I have brought my executive management in, uh, to speak to, and sometimes it's an issue of convincing folks at the C-suite why it's important to worry about things. Um, we're happy to help deliver that message. Sometimes the three little letters that we bring with us when we come in brief carry some weight. And if that helps, we're happy to deliver that. Um, but I think knowing that we are a free resource to provide threat information and awareness about terrorism threats, cyber threats, even, you know, criminal enterprise uh, type things that were available to do that, um, and that were not just who to call when bad things happen. Um, and the InfraGuard program is, is one of those resources uh, that can be used for a multitude of things uh, in that regard. Well, that, that was really my favorite answer, bringing pressure on the C-suite, <laughs> because that's what that, that's where you get most of the obstructionism from when you want to spread the, go- yeah, the gospel no. of cybersecurity. The C-suite is the place that's the hardest to that penetrate. That's not news to me, unfortunately. I'm, I'm sure yep. that's yep. true. <laughs> well, Karen, well that's, they, that's sometimes they call us in to do that, because an outsider is, certainly carries more weight than even their own security exactly. folks. Yeah. So it's... It, we exactly. don't have we, we yep. don't have the same power as your three letters, but just <laughs> just right, just having just having some, some. Well, like I said, if we can use them to help, then you know we're happy to share that message. I, I think that's great. And and Kara, thank you so much for joining us today. A lot of good information here. I would urge lawyers who are interested in this uh, to sign up for InfraGuard. There's no cost to sign up, um, so I, I think that it's it's really potentially very helpful, and you'll learn a lot more about cybersecurity by attending some of the meetings and getting some of the proactive education that you all help to provide. So thanks again for being with us today as our guest. Thanks for having me. That does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please review us on iTunes. And you can find out more about Sensei's digital forensics, technology, and security services at SENSEIENT.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.